Welcome to the 4th New Models Podcast. We're back from not a break, but multiple attempts at recording a podcast that all failed horrifically. But we finally got one we're really excited to share with you. And we have some guests. We have musicians Stephen Warwick and Zier, as well as critical theorist Anka Deuce. Of course, I'm Lil Internet, joined by New Models co-founder Carly Busta and artist Dan Keller. All right, three, two, one, let's get right into it. If you listen to the cast, you know that New Models addresses platforms, feeds, algorithms, and how they organize us. One big way they do this is via identity. So with this particular episode, we decided to look at gender issues and um, why the, the reasons why they uh, seem to be so prominent on our feed. I mean, we also wanted to, to get outside of our uh, cis-gendered white, largely heteronormative bubble and not only talk about issues that relate to our experience of, of daily life. So we also invited some guests to talk about this. Anyway, that's just to give some framing for uh, what you're about to hear next. This is put together out of two conversations, by the way, but just keep listening. We'll explain as we go on. Hey! A common issue with talking about identity today is that the, the platforms we mostly talk on, I mean, essentially enforce narcissism. I mean, that's like a really negative word to use for it, but I'm sorry, the experience of social media is about the most narcissistic gamified system you could ever imagine. And every because everybody just went along with it, we've kind of stopped figuring that into our framework of it. I mean, remember when taking selfies was embarrassing? That yeah. was not that many years ago. Um, I mean, I, I think it's beyond just social media, and I, it's a, a cliche to talk about neoliberalism ever, but I mean, this is like, I think, the end result of being a neoliberal subject, uh, where your sort of subjective consumer experience is kind of given primacy over everything else. And um, yeah, identity and these kinds of self-representation that fits in so much into that, that, that is idealized so much by the system that, you know, is so intensely focused on individuation um, as an economic engine. I mean, I would argue that we're not completely individuated on the platform. There's another layer to that, which is that we're actually on these small stages, kind of like on the scale of a karaoke stage or something, where we are isolated as we speak, but we're also performing for who we imagine our tribe to be. So it's not like we're really speaking to the other person, to the original poster. More, we're speaking to the people that we want to respond positively to our posts. And that's a difference between the online space and the way it structures us and speaking to somebody face to face. In terms of like, I guess the politics uh, and kind of social focus uh, uh, around transgender and kind of non uh, gender nonconformity, uh, I almost wonder if it could be split into a pre and post social media explosion of, um, you know, the early 2010s in, in a way that all nonconformity, actually, not even right. gender in this case. I mean, like, it, body nonconformity seems to have a pre and post, like, 
web 2.0 time there was a way we spoke about bodies beforehand and after afterwards and like is there a point at which the conversation changed I mean, it's also like, I guess it's just like take gender nonconformity and then add in kind of the attention economy and this like really recent sort of uh, social media explosion. And uh, if that actually changed kind of the discussion and politics and, and values around it, and if you could actually, is that that's actually a fair split, kind of like a pre and post um, social media T- uh, t- uh, temporal kind of categorization. I mean, I think like marginalization in general is uh, has social capital in a way that it didn't before, um, and that applies to all sorts of things. But of course, to this as well. And I think also just like not just trans, um, but just transformations in general. There's a lot of interest in that. I mean, there's like you know absolute ab transformations and yes. stuff. Like my most of my Instagram explore feed for whatever reason, even though I do not go to the gym anywhere near enough is all just like, you know, before and after ab photos, etc. So I, I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of, of course, it's like a compelling thing uh, in general as a format, like a before and after picture. Everyone, lo- everyone loves a dramatic reveal, you know? Um, and it's all, yeah, there's been plenty of high profile transitions and that are not only young people, Caitlyn Jenner. Right. Um, and I think like that, has clearly, you know, there's been a drumbeat of that. Or Laverne Cox or these other trans women that have significantly more visibility and sort of mainstream uh, visibility than ever before. I mean, and that is, uh, regardless of that's whether or not that's a direct, um, it correlates with social media, even if it's not caused by it. Um, that all happened in the last decade. And I, I mean, it's hard for me to occupy the mindset of pre-social media kind of, because it's just really uh made my neural pathways how they are these days and i i don't i definitely don't remember talking about trans issues anywhere near as much back then and i don't know if that just if that's you know subjective or not but it does seem like it there's just no way that it couldn't be separated in that way the visibility i mean i i would love to see some statistics but even probably google search trends would show you well google trends it's basically there is a spike of April 2012, mm-hmm. and after that, it just kept going up with like some huge spikes some in spasms. I wonder yeah, what those in, specific. Uh, I'm not sure, but it was. When was 2012? July 2015, May 2016, July 2017. When was Caitlin? That uh, had to have been one of those spikes. Was it? Pretty sure. When was the Wachowskis? Mm, oh. I don't know if that was earlier. I think. Oh, well, so one of them was earlier, and then the yeah, other so one was, was like. Kate, it is Kate, Caitlyn Jenner was uh, 2015. So, yeah, so that makes sense. It started in yeah. So I think. Uh, I mean, also like it's, especially in that specific instance, it's so hard to disconnect it from social media. Whereas, like, it was so clearly motivated by being surrounded by social media stars. Mm-hmm. Her, for her mm-hmm. i don't know like right She's very gonna... hard to disconnect that for me um i mean i also i also wonder though if just like how i mean so much of this too is just 
the media like playing into it but this is and amplifying it well what i also see is like also with hari neff so caitlin jenner being on the cover of vanity fair at a time when print magazines were really taking a nosedive hari neff being a kind of saving grace of vogue at a time when again vogue was losing its relevancy um and i was interested in like the woman's glossy magazine industry's relationship to embracing trans women and I mean, which is great but i always felt like there was this element of them wanting to be patted on the back for doing it or them embracing them because they wanted to like reach digital culture like they wanted to reach a digital younger followership i couldn't separate it from some kind of marketing move on the part of social me- uh, media forms which were losing ground to social media so at the beginning of this podcast, we mentioned that we had some guests with us, uh, Anka Deuce, Zier, and Stephen Warwick. And at this point, we're going to join that conversation. It's a little confusing. These conversations actually happened at two different times, one after the other. And we're splicing them here because we actually think that in a weird way, this is the way conversation does happen today. You have one conversation with one group of friends, one with the other. You have a different voice in both places, but yet you still share some common threads. So we're sort of synthesizing this for you here. And um, we give you a cue. It's this little sound. Actually, that's a big sound, but (laughs) when you, yeah, but anyways, when you hear that sound, it means we're switching from one conversation with one group of people to another conversation we had later with Dan Keller. So now we're joining Anka Deuce, Zer, and Stephen Warwick. Let's try out that sound. Hi, I'm Caduce. Hey, I'm Zior. Hello, Stephen Warwick. I mean, interesting. Of course, we may be returning to some more trad structure, but the debate about gender fluidity, uh, trans culture goes back to at least the 1930s. I mean, of course, there's, historically, there's been third genders and other genders all the way from the beginning of sure, humanity. Sure, in, in modern 20th humanity, century industrial right. times. But I think some of these more, I guess in a more modern framework of the, also, especially the state. There has been an institute in the 1920s in Berlin, the Magnus Hirschfeld Institute, which was really far out in terms of gender studies. And um, they had a passport for people that are basically trans people there was a in the 1936 olympics there was a trans woman in the olympics it was really far out in research and like also like how gender was enforced and like perceived and um yeah the nazis destroyed everything basically burned down the whole evidence and like i don't know where we would have been if we wouldn't have had this second world war interference yeah because like, Hirschfeld totally predated kinsey by yeah over 30 years do you know how that started? When what that came out of? I do not know. What Hirschfeld came out of? Um, he was reacting against that paragraph one seven one. It was this. Um, it was some legal. Uh, thing so you know, existing. like you had like in the late eighteen hundreds, you have the develop like the category of the homosexual. Suddenly, like it's like put into, it's created or branded, so to say, and then suddenly you know, whatever has been going on for a long time is suddenly, like, defined, and then it's illegal. And I think Hirschfeld, who was also gay himself, was doing research which was first challenging that, but then also went further 
uh, he came up with the idea of this Zwischenstufe, yeah. Can you say what that is in English? Oh, um, yeah, like, well, it can, can translate to intersex. Uh-huh. Basically, like, the first record I did was heavily influenced by that. So, uh-huh. yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah, hardcore obsession. Yeah, but there was, like, a really good example of having, like, the... Um, there's no, there was no internet, there was no, no communication like that, but like it's somehow like, yeah. Body nonconformity in whatever way has been a way of resisting the main system or resisting capitalism. Um, and, you know, the thing about, say, Caitlyn Jenner or like, you know, somebody on the hills is that there was like a leap towards conformity or there's a leap towards that identification. And I'm really right. interested in, in that, that switch and like how maybe the networks that we use to communicate incentivized that, that reversal or that, that change. I don't, yeah. I mean, that defined identity is, is an integral to extracting value from it. I think like Caitlyn Jenner is not a body nonconform person in a way. Like I have the feeling that's, I mean, like I've been following this since a lot of like 20 years or something, like how just like gender has been perceived and also like the binary that was always a point that I really felt uncomfortable with, even though I had no other way out because that was all I knew when I was growing up so like there was no other way out besides trying to like be the opposite of what I was or something like that and then like to just like now like years later where like things are just like turning to be more open like people just there are like certain ways where you just like don't have to like go from the one extreme to the other I mean like in a case like chasing the binary I always have the feeling like you're still lying like there is no like if it's just the one option or the other i'm just like it's in most cases i I don't think it is happening it is i don't think it's true yeah i think like there is a way in between that you might find yourself with but like there's i mean there's the the outer elements of the society we live in that like presses us to a certain point and like obviously i think there's a little bit of a comfort zone that you can i mean like that you can reach if you're just like passing perfectly or like that but like yeah there's this word like confirmation right like i need to be you know confirmed in my gender or I need to be confirmed in my race i need to be confirmed in you know whatever it is and i'm interested in the evolution of that language and like when it first started appearing because i find that like an interesting flashpoint where indeterminacy was always the special place of the arts was always a special place of yes gender but any kind of bohemianness was like not being like high class or low class not necessarily being like Eastern European or Western European, being in the in-between zone. And so I wonder like how that word confirmation came into being or when you first remember hearing it or like how did we as a community start feeling like that was a useful word for us? I don't, I don't really come across that term, confirmation. Like on GoFundMe, that's like what people oh, say, like okay. gender confirmation or like, you know, I'm, you know, even confirmed as a citizen. It's interesting that it's in that GoFundMe context, I guess. Um, With a direct relation to capital also. Well, because, I mean, you like know, it's legitimate. confirmation but sounds... Well, it's just like confirmation sounds to me like bestätigung. It's so like yeah, exactly. Or like it's, Christianity, like it's just so like a, it's 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 so like a flight or a booking or exactly. You know? It's so bureaucratic. It is so bestätigung. <laughs> it's like direct translation. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Confirmation. 
Yeah. Well, of course, confirmation, you think of bloop. Yeah. Being in the water. Yeah, but it yeah. Some, somehow feels like you just like have the... The, what, what is like the Twitter check mark? You know, exactly. Oh, like verific. Yeah. Wait, can we speak about that? Yeah, verification. Yeah, yeah. Just like, but like, I think it is like it is kind of like the check mark of the soul or something like that. But like, then it just like ends up a. I don't know. Yeah, I. It is. Because it's like I'm defining myself by other people. That's what I mean. Before it's, it feels like you're fulfilling a criteria. It's not necessarily about friends because friends is. I wouldn't say that's defined by a marketplace. Exactly. Like, that, like, you know, of course, like, I would like my friends to agree with, you know, it's, that's fine. I'm talking more about, it feels, um, what's the word? It just feels like you're approved. It's, it's like, congratulations. Right, and says who? Like, who is, like, and says who? Like, who is, who are you well, giving authority to? Well, that's what I mean. It's to? like, what power are you speaking to? Or who's talking, like, what power is telling you this? Yeah, it's, it's weird. The opposite of any kind of anarchic ideals. It's just also not so queer. Probably the need to to have this confirmation came up because people claim something that they were that they couldn't uh, uphold. There was no confirmation, and it generated, uh, but it generated some kind of interest or some kind of uh, focus that uh, that made people take up identities or something like there must be there must have been a reason why they came up with this i mean i can tell you because you're exposed and then you're getting torn apart by other people who think they can just like put themselves in a um, some like weird hierarchy that might not even exist but like i have the feeling like once you're not conforming in any sense then you're just like exposed as such and then um yeah, basically you're facing violence and aggression and that like on an everyday basis. I mean, GoFundMe is weird in itself so because like you'll get something which is, you know, silly. I need um, facial, what's the word term? Facial feminization. Thank you. And it can like GoFundMe can literally go from like something like that to like, I've had a bad day, GoFundMe. Yeah. But that's like, the platform, which is also another thing. Yeah. And it's also in terms of this whole community thing. I mean, you know, like, people who were in different ways, like, uh, sidelined or minority, used technology and the internet before 2.0 to kind of have a voice. So it's very strange with this 2.0 aspect where it has become more monetized. This might not be for everyone, but this might be for some people. But like, I have the feeling this a GoFundMe exposure get like two things right. Like, first of all, we live in fucking capitalism, so like we have to get the funds to make that work. Like those kind of things are really expensive, so like you get need to get there. Like I have the feeling this could be just like a really also again positive tool to like make people know, like you're gonna like face me changing and like it also like would give me a certain type of comfort if like people already knew so i like don't have to explain myself whenever i show my nose job or whatever you know i i i I agree with these positive aspects of it but i think uh, you know on a on a more macro level just gofundme is it's is another one of these like squeezing blood from a rock platforms where you know everyone's broke and the who then the only people to save save you or your own community and you know it i mean it is kind of just like anarcho-capitalist kind of platform or something i think a lot about of those models especially in terms of 
say, an American model versus European model, and obviously I'm in the latter, where you do have more government support. But, you know, especially in Britain right now, for the last, uh, yeah, since the crisis, yeah, so 10 years now, you've had austerity measures. Mm. And it does tap into what Julian was talking about of there's so little resources and people are kind of the pre it, I think that that's where it becomes more of a systemic problem where it's put on you to help other people, which of course you want to do. But the real problem is there's all the, you know, you've got businesses announced today as a being trillion, like a trillion dollar, dollar economy. So I think, Maybe we should talk about that in terms of that um, problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, people should be able to come what they want. But when they've their head kind of like held under the water, that's another question, isn't it? Yeah, I also have the feeling who else is going to save your ass if not your community sometimes. Like, there is no other way, uh, no other one who, like, no other person or no, no other, like, maybe it's like a close friend or something, but, like, usually people just don't give a shit about each other if they're just, like, somebody else. Like, right now, if, if you're a refugee trying to come to Europe and you're on that boat and you get sent away, you're basically going to die. And, like, nobody gives a shit anymore. It's, like, dehumanization all of it, like, almost, like, with those kind of situations. And I don't know. It feels like if we don't help each other, like, who else is going to do this, you know? I mean, ultimately, anytime there's a platform where someone can get value out of it, there, there's going to be people who abuse it, and it may be a minority, and it, and it doesn't mean that the whole platform of GoFundMe or something has to be discounted. But there needs to be a way for a community to police abuse, and I also, and I do feel like at this moment right now, there's kind of a chilling effect on anyone questioning the intentions or um, deservedness of a any sort of GoFundMe request, right? But a GoFundMe request, you can donate or not donate. I mean, it's up to you. Nobody is, you're not going to be stigmatized for not donating. You can just say, like, saw your GoFundMe. You don't have to donate. I mean... I think there's probably stigma. I think you'd be get stigmatized, of course, or you at least get, like, social... I mean, you can definitely signal positively by doing it, so that's sort of implies a stigmatization if you don't, I think. I've seen some pretty next level GoFundMes that are just like, I'm a marginalized person, I can't pay rent, support me. I do wonder, I mean, yeah, GoFundMe is just, as a company, more reliant on like the fucked up nature of American healthcare system than yeah. any other company. Oh, I, yeah. I wonder if they're actively lobbying in Washington against Medicaid expansion because <laughs> it would totally bankrupt them. Um, I mean, GoFundMe is just, yeah, it is fascinating for that reason. And yeah, beyond all the trans people, that are that are getting you know money for surgery on there just the people who can't pay their cancer bill it's just it's scary yeah. it's scary it's grim another interesting part of our previous conversation was that i mean things that could be kind of i guess considered somewhat cosmetic or especially when you get to the 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 position of transitioning and transitioning back for instance or something and there's you know when we, in this conversation we had you know it was strongly believe that no matter what you feel at the time uh, you know if you want to transition and transition back uh, 
that's still a medical decision and it should be covered by the state or it should be considered a necessary medical treatment, which to me, though, really does fall into this sort of transhumanism kind of category that could really be expanded to uh, any sort of desire to change your body in a way that you feel strongly about, right? I think that makes sense i mean yeah if they're if we're living in a sort of like post-scarcity transhuman future then yeah the government or whatever equivalent structure should pay for any elective surgery whatsoever in theory um it doesn't seem like that right. far off i mean post-scarcity seems <laughs> like incredibly far off to uh, be honest yeah <laughs> but once that happens, it doesn't seem far off for all no. uh, I mean, I uh, elective the, surgery to be. The basis covered. for something like FFS, though, is that you yes. mean because it is different than than just transhumanism. It is the idea behind FFS is that somebody because their their structure of their face doesn't match the gender that they want to present, they are then at risk for violence, and that is what it's you know the idea behind changing it is. But then we're getting back into passing in the binary again. Right. If, if gender, really just pure, pure gender fluidity is the goal, then... I don't think that gender fluidity is just essentially the goal, like, as a blanket idea for every trans person at all. I mean, it's, right. I don't think that's necessarily the right take. I mean, it's, it's one... It's one way of looking at it, but... I mean, in the conversation we had, though, it gender fluidity that i mean that seemed to be the the ideal sort of position for gender in society was a totally fluid kind of deconstructed position right mm -hmm. so that's why i always wonder like I, I, there's these things that kind of stuck out that i found really hard to reconcile like for like facial feminization surgery as being a medical necessity when it actually just reinforces a gender binary just as Caitlyn Jenner reinforced this gender binary going from one extreme to another. Right. The question is, why are we not changing our community to have a broader idea of what is what we understand gender to be? Why do we feel we need to go through these like complicated, expensive, um, painful operations in order to conform to society. If the, you know, this queer, if, if the queer space or gender nonconformity was a space of potential, of, of productive ambiguity, like, why, why have we lost ground there? It feels like it's a losing of ground, the idea that we, we feel compelled to pay for people in our community in order to make their faces conform more closely to what the ideal is of this and that gender. I mean, it's also just like, there, I mean, if you, what if you're an ugly person that, you're right. that passes for your yeah. own gender? Do you, yeah. I mean, you're at risk for all sorts of discrimination as well. I don't know. It is... It is a weird that that gender presentation takes primacy over any other types of physical presentation that, of course, leaves you open to other kind of vulnerabilities or whatever. I mean, because of this issue of threat of violence that, you know, transgender and non-gender conforming people face, I think this issue is a lot more complicated. And, I mean, I wonder how different it would be if that threat of violence wasn't there. And, of course, that's really the main thing that society needs to address and the main impetus for really protecting transgender and gender nonconforming people but because that violence does exist i think this whole situation gets really 
complicated as a result. Especially because we're seeing this, something we're not talking about here, we're seeing this within a particular class structure. So we're seeing this as tied to people who have access either with their own families or their friend groups often to this money. We're not talking necessarily about... um, yeah, we're speaking predominantly about and predominantly about M to F transitions among a white upper middle class liberal art school educated group of people. So I think that there is this suspicion comes in when we think about the social context, not so much one individual in a vacuum's um, feeling as though they need to change their structure. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that factors into it. I also wonder, though, because Anka in response. Anka sent us a response after our initial conversation. But one thing she mentioned is that the people, the kind of the trailblazers for this, or the people who are the icons of this, are people who did not have to, they, they were the market, they, they had enough money to do it. They were detached from the market. They were detached from the sort of financial and economic burden that a community or a state would have to have from it. There's a sort of interesting, like, I don't know, biohacker libertarian uh a uh, project I've seen where you can using like um what are they called candy buttons like those things that they that you can use a candy button recipe in a 3D printer to basically make pills and there's this sort of DIY method of making hormones right um, and this is the idea and also with birth control and stuff and this is the idea that four thieves right is that what it's called I think that's like yeah it's like DIY pharma right like, so I mean I think that is of course like a way of um, circumventing the issue and 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 making it more about a personal choice, um, which I you know in general I'm you know I'm in favor of when it comes to these kinds of things. Yeah, I mean I wonder too. I mean this is another thing I've been thinking. If we if we really go to the if we really think out into the future, I mean it's like I mean one wouldn't one good approach to this just be to legalize all hormones, make them over the counter, maybe eighteen plus, but you just go and buy them if you if you want to. I mean, wouldn't it isn't it almost like the answer for these things is almost a, a sort of opening up of uh of well, these kinds of of hormones and and uh surgeries, for instance. I mean the thing about hormones is like you don't if you take hormones, it's not like you're doing like MDMA at a party and you do it once and then don't do it for whatever amount of time. It's like you start on a course of hormones that then has an effect on your body, which is reversible in some ways, but also it leaves traces. And I mean, sure, I guess you could make the argument of like, I mean, that's what, right, there's this, you know, the book, Paul Preciado's Tesso Junkies. Um, But like, if they just, like hormones are incredibly powerful. As somebody who's female who feels, you know, a change of hormones on a cycle, I mean, they really do alter you in a kind of crazy way. And I mean, there's there's a certain responsibility to make sure that if you are like, if you are accessing hormones, you're doing it with like some sort of informed in some sort of informed way. And now the fact that in Germany, at least you have to get a doctor's letter that says that you're like, you know, have like, you know, certain mental disabilities and you need hormones to make you right. Gender that's dysphoria. Gender dysphoria. I mean, that's a like, that seems like a very strange way of institutionalizing it and one that's outmoded and that should be changed. Maybe it, it is now. Um, 
but uh, it it shouldn't be like go you know go to it's not like you're just taking like magnesium or you're taking creatine or something it's like you're taking something which really is going to affect your body in some pretty profound ways so you do want to be doing it with information and guidance and that guidance can come from your community it can come from a doctor um, but I I think this idea of like sure they are legalized but having them over the counter it's like you don't have them over the counter the way you wouldn't have like like 800 milligram ibuprofen you don't have over the counter you know (laughs) (laughs) right i mean i understand but it it, uh... i mean it is definitely a school of thought that thinks that all everything should be over the counter of course Um, right and i mean on one level i agree with that of course but um the the sort of uh the burden on society potentially that could cause from like people just like you know, a completely misusing and abusing medicine or overusing antibiotics, etc. I mean, that that is a societal burden that I guess needs to be regulated. But beyond that, I mean, yeah, generally I'm into that sort of, that level of libertarianism, I think. I mean, think of Accutane, right? Like a lot of people take that for acne. I mean, I did. I think you well, it's did, banned right? Now, well, yeah. is it banned? I don't know if it's In banned. The United States, I never it's did. I always regret not doing it. I, or iso, I, I took it. I did too, but I mean, now it's linked also to like you know, like fertility problems. It's linked to like on both sides. It's linked to very, of course, you know, everything's linked to fertility problems if you Google enough. But um, but it does have long term effects, and you do it for six months or seven months or whatever, and that's something it changes your body for the rest of your life so i mean i do think that there is some public health responsibility to making sure when powerful things are circulating that they're done in a way that the recipients are informed like that's it you know that's just a because right there are public health consequences down downstream public health consequences that like could just be yeah it, it could be a bigger problem No social media? No problem. Newmodels.io is our central node and an aggregation site updated near daily with all of the most important information you may have missed while avoiding that state of permanent hell most people call the feed. Be sure to set it as your homepage as it will really render the rest of the internet obsolete or something like that. Um, I was reminded of something here... Um, basically, though, that, uh, you know, in the United States, near, near half of young people, kind of young yeah, Gen Z, uh, young millennials, don't identify as 100% heterosexual, which, I mean, shows that in terms of sexuality, we're definitely moving to a spectrum um, as, they, as the uh, general idea of sexuality amongst mainstream society ultimately and i wonder i mean is this something that could also go happen with gender though i mean in in the near future i mean this is a really recent i mean you could never imagine that statistic you know 20 years ago um i don't know if this is true or not but i read this funny tweet that was just like talking about um somebody who's like spending time on gen z uh um discord servers gaming servers and they're like he was just like half of gen z's are nazis and half of them are trans and like, <laughs> um, i think that's it seems like plausible to me i mean taking that's true though because there's this other half that's like so trad and like really just 
there's there's it seems like that that's actually a big part of the basic liberal conservative split though is that there's one half that's pushing really hard for no baseline and then there's another side that's pushing so hard for a baseline they're literally like making up conspiracy theories to give themselves a baseline <laughs> right it's like but that's what they i mean q like QAnon gives a baseline it yeah. gives a structure peterson to the story gives a baseline jordan peterson gives this yeah exactly this like baseline and then i mean and god and it's all so lame like a chaos and order dichotomy yeah. too yeah it's which is very corny i mean but that's what it seems like we're 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 going towards and then i mean taking that even further it's like or also like using these like um you know like animal kingdom uh examples for like how society should be structured be like well the male lion does so and so and so and so it's like of course you can always just like find some other species like some like i don't know seahorse or some shit like that that like really (laughs) negates your theory but it is a very much this baseline like that there's some you know natural essentialist truth to human nature and everything um pretty appealing to people well women should have their face covered obviously <laughs> and you know men should become beasts seems fair <laughs> i i think that army ant link that dan shared earlier i think that men should have their they like, should have wings yeah they should, <laughs> first of all, they they should, should go wings. and fly Tails. off that mating and i think that there should only be one woman allowed to breed she should right. be huge blind and uh have millions and millions of eggs per month <laughs> yes um, and every every time yeah and, and basically uh, yeah she should have lots and lots of workers all probably probably slaves. probably people like from her inst- her instagram followers and and the man like goes and visits her and then the the like her instagram followers rip his arms off and then he uh, busts a nut and then they they he they kill him and eat no, him. there's a fantasy if she dies then uh the like hundreds of thousands of other followers people, have to find they a all new have to die queen. or believe yeah, yeah. exactly Queen, queen, get queen, uh, queen B. Yeah. But seriously, yeah. yeah if any of you Great haven't cover. looked up the Army Ant, I recommend the Army Ant Wikipedia article. I also saw a pretty good BBC documentary about them. Radical cooperation. Although yeah, you, there's a video you you posted, and they had built this giant like rope bridge from right. like one yeah. end of the roof to like the one ten net. centimeters over. Right. Like, why didn't they just walk across? Like, they can walk on a ceiling. Well, they wasn't uh, that optimized, clearly. But suppose <laughs> I read some. I read some comment because someone else was commenting the same thing that it was it's easier for them. To to walk at this angle or to uh, carry things to and carry so, things then upside down right it's um, right that would be too heavy um, i see but yeah sure no i mean obviously it's just sort of like they followed a path and kept going on it even if it wasn't rational and that sort of like that sort of collective computation can lead you to weird q yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you know sometimes collectivity isn't a, it's not about efficiency it's about like a happy stable community right. so even if it was a shorter route and less energy was expended to crawl over the roof and drop <laughs> down into the wasp nest that could have actually been negative like for the ant community they all got to participate burning man <laughs> right, style right, with the right. long rope they i mean their part. you're right 
maybe, maybe though, because I'm trying to map this right now. What is the way we map this? What is the way we model this? Right. Is it you allow for a, a variety of defined identities, but also make a separate category that's totally fluid? Is that the way you do it? Do you blow away all categories in general and so that we don't have this male-female dichotomy that ends up having a hierarchy and all the things tied to it and we actually eliminated in terms of a sort of gender blindness model which you know of course is it d doesn't work with race but it may be it, it destroying all the categories is is the right way i mean but but then and then how would biology play in i mean i'm trying to think of how how what is the mapping what is the modeling moving forward that would seem to work i think the crisis we're having right now is that you can't obviously talk about one without talking about the other obviously that's kind of the general talking now, which is also a, a more recent development. Which is a great development. Of course, but it's, that's a newer thing. Say the one without what? One with well, the other. like you can't talk about race with gender with class. Mm -hmm. like, right. It's an like, intersectional debate. But is it really? That's what I mean. Is it? I'm, I'm frustrated that I feel it's not enough. There's, there's sometimes it's thrown in as well, it should not, be intersectional, well, but then not, it's still a predominantly white, like uh, middle upper class conversation. And I'm also saying, like, if I just like say, like, blow it all, just like, just get rid of it all. I think that's like a beautiful kitsch perspective of like um <laughs> a, a romantic radical you know right. like obviously like this is this is impossible you know right. like it's impossible but like i would say yeah like i want a dream you know like if if you just like take that away from me like what is left like no just uh, just one because uh, like especially since you now brought in class and uh, like the 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 reason to have this kind of thing right one thing is protection that i mentioned earlier is kind of this radical feminism kind of thing uh, uh um Uh, that I'm not really <laughs> well uh, doesn't matter uh, that where, where you where you have like laws to protect people from violence that they face in the world the way it is now uh, um, and but the other thing that I want to say is that a category can give you um, uh, uh, can give you like a like a power in and uh, to 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 weaponize it to to make it a thing to start a I don't know, like to change the world, to make a revolution. Except, do we need more factions? That's also the other I mean, thing. Like when you name something, it, I always think about this in terms of music. I remember when new forms of music came up, I would always say, as soon as you name something, it begins to die. <laughs> like, you know, as soon as yeah. you call it dubstep, it's going to get yeah. terrible and it's going to be destroyed. When new forms I mean, that, yeah. I mean the, it all goes down to the core of naming, though, and identities, too. As soon as you box something in, then it, it all of a sudden... It as soon as you can name it. Then that's a thing of like, then you define it, then you kill it. Yeah. But then, uh, well, you kind of do. It's like, that's why, like, I mean, whatever, but like. No, but I better. Well, no, but that's why, like, you know, in terms of like musically, what's happening right now in clubs. Yeah, talk is, about that. There's been a very deliberate non definition of what it is. Yeah. Like, isn't it quite. I mean, I don't really want to like spend time on that because I'd rather talk about something else, but isn't it quite good that. When you look at like the bill in a fenster or whatever, they'll be like, oh, so-and-so who has been defined post-club. And you're like, well, yeah. Post-club? Like, post Is that a category? Can we name that category? No, there's been, that's, you've had that for the last 10 years. It also keeps the, the press away, which keeps the attention economy away when you don't yeah, no, no, define something with the name. 
No, because that's the whole thing. Subculture too. That is subculture. Before it's like capitalized, that is subculture. I mean, if you can read the codes and kind of put them together yourself in a certain way, and then you can kind of end up with a fluid Mm. genre fluidity. (laughs) (laughs) Like you know, well, it's like the whole argument. You know, when like it's like let's even think about like queer cult, um, queer theory. Like I've seen some people like no shade but like they're not queer and they're like talking in such rigid terms about like queer culture you know like judith butler or blah 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 or foucault or this kind of stuff and it's become so rigid and my whole thing of you know in the last like eight years or whatever was all like well the whole point is that you kind of don't talk about it (laughs) (laughs) and that's the whole thing it like becomes so i think that kind of topic addresses this newer like whatever two wokeness wokeness, um social media arguing where it becomes about this like timeline of argument as opposed to like let's be real like like we're all kind of around the similar age where we grew up around where you would have a discussion you might check yourself but you're uncomfortable but that's why you do it. Mm-hmm. And like this whole thing now with this timeline bullshit. What's the timeline bullshit? Well, it's like a Facebook post or a Twitter feed. Oh, that's why I unfollowed everyone. Well, but then that's the whole thing. But then there's a mute. It's then, a like, think the, piece. The I'm auto delete though now, right? It just becomes this thing of like, it's very important to feel uncomfortable. Because that's when things are interesting. Like, look at that Jack Smith. Like, you know, Jack Smith just had a show on right now. And, like, his whole thing. Like, you know, like, do you remember when Susan Sontag tried to define camp? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like, duh. The whole point is you can't define it. I mean, this question of baseline, though, I think has really been underneath all of our failed podcasts, too. (laughs) was just... I mean, even boomers are craving a baseline. That's oh, why so, so many. So. That's why they're freaking That's why so out. many boomers fell for QAnon. That's why so many boomers are freaking out. They've always believed in their baseline of the society they set up. That's interesting. The baseline of college. The baseline yeah. of, uh, you know, home ownership. Yeah, the, the sensible system that worked for them, of course. Right. Four hundred one k, whatever. And they, yeah, and they believe. I, I just can't believe they treated it like i can't believe i was just raised i can't believe i was raised so much thinking that the world had operated that way for like the past two thousand years and like (laughs) obviously this is the right thing to do like yeah no it's true like my parents are you know ten thousand year old like uh ex-pharaohs or something who have seen all of human history and just know this is like college and student loans and like staying in the job in a city i hate is like the way to go i mean i don't uh i think similarly though and this is maybe more personal experience it's just like they believed in this crazy individualism and the idea that anything you wanted to do is possible because it was for them i, I think it was much more that was the education i got from the boomers that ruined my life much more than like be sensible get a 401k that was not at all Bad. my education <laughs> at all i i think that's actually the the opposite of of what 
the boomer issue is. Mm. Right. It was the myth of... So if they had the myth of the American dream, we had the myth of be whatever you want. Yeah, the individual, right. like, hippie American dream. Right. Post I mean, that's, that's like... 100% my, my problem. And my guess is that in the next 10, 20 years, as we see the edges of the American dream come into fuller view as this generation ages and the younger generations are left to care for them, that... Um, or the, it's more like the skeleton of it come yeah. into further view as the skin and flesh rots off it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I just thought that was a better metaphor. Also a little more metal, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're seeing, we're seeing like a lot of millennials, uh, that, that truth that, or that myth that had been spun to them um, being cut off earlier and earlier. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what world then emerges in the ruins of those broken dreams. I think the answer is actually what worlds, right? Yeah. Because I do think, I mean, more and more, I th- the more I think about it, the more I feel like maybe there will be just some huge disruption and then there'll be city-states, corporate kind of, or, or just micro-nations and... I mean, patchwork. Patchwork, exactly. I I do feel like that must be... I mean, would that, I don't know, but it's just like this level of, I mean, like how we've been mapping it and seeing how like essential these divisions are when like between trad baseline versus like total fluidity, like totally liquid zero baseline as like a core of an ideology, like that's a crazy fundamental difference. Like, I don't even know how you reconcile that. Between trad and total fluidity. Right. Yeah. Between those. Well, well that's what the patchwork is for, is right. like, right. they just don't associate with each other. That's the idea. It's, I mean, it's all based on this idea that the internal divisions in our society are just becoming basically to, the, to some breaking point where, yeah, a pluralistic society just becomes impossible. Then can you become like trans one part of the patchwork to the other? <laughs> well, <laughs> can this you become is the, an expat of one part. To the yeah, other? no, that's actually that is exactly how the system is supposedly works. Is that there's not any real, uh, well, some of the maybe some of the patches have some sort of democratic system, but there isn't any inherent democracy necessary in any of the system, other than that, like annually or at some given period. There's a there's purge. A, there's a migrant. Well, there's a purge type where there's a migration period where you can move to the patch where you agree with those laws. And that's this whole idea that there should be, you know, competition and consumer selection between these uh, mm-hmm. different systems. So that's where that comes Delaware, in. All yeah, they all move to Delaware. Delaware. Yeah. It is kind of like a radical states, right? Kind of thing too, though, in a way, right? It's the next step of that. Right. You know, for sure. Yeah. California is going to do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, localism. Yeah. Well, also, isn't Oregon supposed to be like that? There's like that weird Pacific Northwest white... Cascadia. Yeah, oh, Cascadia. Yeah. Like I mean, there's a lot of ethnic. separatist um, movements everywhere, but they are, I think, getting increasingly um, powerful, and I think that's like, got to look at that. I mean, I mean Dan, you've Spain. been thinking a lot about exits, which I think is super interesting. Right. And I mean, of course, if we think about even the trans body, that's a kind of exit, oh, totally. exit from one gender's paradigm to another. Um, but I wonder, like, when we thought, talk about statehood and we were talking before about in the beginning about like subcultures and new kinds of tribalism that's happening, do you see uh, there being a geographical correlation between these new tribes or subcultures or hashtags and 
I mean, because of course a lot of this is happening online. So right. it's actually an incredibly interesting question when it comes to the geographical correlation between culture and space. Uh, it's interesting. And it's hard to say with a lot of these things. I do continually, I mean, I'm obsessed with this, obviously, and I'll keep on harping on it. But like, there is a correlation with like Bay Area and a lot of these subcultures. But that's just sort of, I think, you know, uh, the effect of that being where a lot of programmers live and that a lot of these ideas, you know, are related to sort of speculative computer theory sort of or programming or whatever. Um, but other than that, I don't know. Um, and that, of course, is like, that's a geographic sorting that that comes before the ideological sorting sort of. So I think it's related. But as far as, let's say, Anne Prim, you know, people who want to exit into the forest, that seems definitely like, I mean, of course, I'm only looking at English language Twitter or whatever, but it does seem like a American, you know, but but widely distributed around the country. Say what Anne Prem is. No, sorry, Anne Prem is anarcho-primitivist, um, and there's a there's a whole group of I, mostly Gen Z guys who basically, I guess, read the Unabomber Manifesto, uh, you know, in the last ten years when it started becoming more published, and like have taken a lot of it to heart. Um, so there's all sorts of like. Ted was right meme pages and it's connected with a lot of, well, you know, Ted Kaczynski had like a very reactionary uh, politics about gender and all these things. So it is connected to that. Um, but it is mostly focused on the sort of environmental concerns or the dehumanization of industrialization, um, et cetera. But it is a increasingly um, visible movement. Um, and of course it's ironic that it's all happening online, um, but um, that's just the nature of these things these days. I mean, both of you have been thinking a bit about gaming. Do you see any potential for these identities to take um, another kind of tribal form to find each other in the gaming space as we like gaming is increasingly MMO? What do you do you think there's potential for this, these identities to to take a further form in the gaming space? But uh, I just I personally don't see the difference between social media at this point and mmorpg agreed like i i just uh yeah. it has much more impact on your real life that's the difference it certainly does but at the same time there is a, i mean there's no baseline of truth it's like this there's a kind of a narrative game people play these games where they are craft crafting truth and then they launch a propaganda war against the other person's truth and it's like i mean it is this space of no baseline again and there are like tribes and teams that come together and sort of um, launch these sorts of propaganda and ideological wars against each other and uh, trying to get get gold and and get uh, f- uh, hit uh, level up and you know collect followers. I mean, the whole thing. I just I I just think it already is an MMORPG. Like real life as we think real. The I'm sorry. The augmented reality of living of being a human who on social media is basically just an mmorpg at this it's point. also the economic system i mean we all have to it's all gamified and, right uh and there's like game-like consequences like zero-sum consequences economically to all sorts of things so. yeah for sure the challenge of discussing any of these hot button political issues and i mean it's something we found when we you know we're trying to discuss uh gender is i think especially in public, it seems like there's a real chilling effect on on actually discussing these questions. And it's either like the hysterical right again, or the the no baseline left. 
and this and there's there's left. no way to yeah the right. postmodern left and there's no place to there's no place to dialogue even for us within the left about it and this is i mean this chilling effect is is uh, always something that i think you know i don't even feel comfortable kind of debating it now none of us do we're in a place where we feel we can only speak among the most intimate friends or on podcasts but i i feel like it's, there's there's no space to be able to not not i'm not allowed to speak but everybody feels really like it's very difficult to have an open conversation um about these issues where are you going to build the bridge between this polarization like obviously i'm a liberal and like leftist but it's like I do think it's important to, I always think about like, how can I kind of bridge, build a bridge or start building a bridge to the other side? I don't think it's good to just ignore them in a bubble and keep tumbling in this flywheel, like deeper into our own sort of in, in internal uh, worldview. Have you, ever tried to, have you ever tried to persuade anybody of anything? It doesn't work. People are not persuadable. But not it, about these I'm things. Not, I don't try. But you don't have to persuade them if they just listen to it. And I mean, it they don't. I just think right. that there's there is a neurological divergence that is at this point of like fundamental different values about about violence and authority that cannot be bridged. Can you have value reassignment surgery? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the main thing. I think like individually, people can change. But that is coming, that has to come from themselves or something like that. It's not going to come from like they encountered one really persuasive argument on the internet ever. Well, but, then mean, ever. but then what am I supposed, okay, so even if we can't change the other side's ideas, then what, what am, well, what am again, I supposed to do? Well, again, it comes down to the, the platforms that we're communicating on. I mean, platforms, they, uh, you know, like Burning Man also, they incentivize radical personal expression well, and not like radical community building. It's like radical personal expression. Well, you don't need to convert people from other tribes like there's new there's kids there's new kids you just need to recruit more of them to your own tribe i think that's the idea you can build that with well, subculture subculture did sure. that too but right? i mean actually alexandria um ocasio cortez was saying like you know they're not trying to like get swing voters they're trying to get non-voters right. and like that mm. makes a lot of sense to me so i think yeah, it's the same thing sense. right you like one percent actually votes it's right. like so low tiny yeah i mean the actual yeah the number of like america the people adults in america that voted for trump it's like 18 17 yeah. right right you right. Know. and one reason why a debate about identity is incredibly difficult is because truth in this debate is located in the individual's understanding and experience, which it should be. I mean, nobody can tell anybody what they should do with their body. So I think in our previous discussion, one thing that was really interesting, but ultimately also frustrating, was it's incredibly difficult to have a conversation about identity when nobody shares a common baseline for the terms that we're discussing. And that's inherent to the issue of identity in the time of social media, when everyone's feed is their own reality. That's all for this fourth episode of New Models Podcast. Uh, we know this is kind of a contentious issue, and we'd really like to hear what we got both right and wrong from you, because I'm sure there are instances of, of both. Uh, you can always email us at desk at newmodels.io. Uh, don't forget to visit newmodels.io. Set us as your homepage. It's a really great way to check for all of the best content every morning. Um, and uh, we'd definitely like to thank our guests who joined us 
musicians Stephen Warwick and Zier definitely check out both of, of their work because it's like really 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 good and uh, critical theorist Anka Deuce again our email is desk at newmodels.io and in subsequent episodes we'd love to start addressing some of the comments we get about our podcast and the topics we discuss so please feel free to drop us a line and thank you for listening <laughs>